Welcome to a special edition of the Velo Chumps podcast. I'm Eric Poli, and this week, you will get to hear from someone in the industry that really knows something about bikes. Jason McKenzie owns a serious bike shop in Columbus, Georgia, and Mike Green and I had the privilege to talk bikes with him. Unfortunately, I had some technical difficulties with my microphone during the conversation, so I hope you can excuse that. You really want to hear what Jason has to say, though. So without further ado, let's get to the show. everybody well we got a special treat tonight we actually have someone that is in the industry and knows something about bikes instead of just us that you know make up things about bikes uh we got jason mckenzie with us he is the owner of a shop called ride on bikes in columbus georgia do i have that right that's right and we're here with mike because mike green was the one that first met jason when he was on vacation and i guess your uh, your shop attracted him in and you know, you started having a conversation. Here you are in the podcast. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. It turned out good. Yeah. So, Jason, for the listening audience out there, can you just take a few moments to tell us about you and your shop just so we know who we're talking to here? Yeah, man, absolutely. So uh, we're based out of Columbus, Georgia, so about 100 miles southwest of Atlanta, uh, second largest city in Georgia, um, also home of the, the infantry, so our biggest army base, which is Fort Benning. It's about to be named Fort Moore here in a couple of weeks, so that's kind of interesting. But um, so right on the Chattahoochee River, Alabama border, and uh, we were just celebrated this past Saturday 20 years of being in business. Uh, we started awesome. out as a rental bike shop. My intentions at 18 years old is I could rent, uh, I was thinking 30 bikes a day at $10 a day, $300 would be a heck of a living. That was how it started. <laughs> and uh, then it turned into way bigger. Uh, now we're 10,000 square feet. We have a smoothie and juice bar. Uh, currently, we're a specialized dealer and uh, salsa dealer. And then we also carry Wolf e-bikes. Uh, and we just launched a brand new brand on Saturday that I'm so excited about. So we got to get into that at some point. But um, yeah, so we do everything from road bikes uh, to cruisers to electric was our largest category this year, surprisingly, for the first time. Uh, we have mountain bikes. We have a new mountain bike park that we just built. Uh, we had privately funded over $2 million. So we're really excited about that. And uh, yeah, man, it's just, it's really interesting. Uh, the bike shop is a vehicle that's, um, got me involved with so many people and been able to help so much. And we just absolutely love what we get to do every day. Oh, that sounds fantastic. Now, Mike, I do want to ask you one quick thing, cause I want to get an objective opinion on this because I checked out the Ride on Bikes website, and right on the front of the website, it says, now, Mike, I'm going to ask your opinion specifically. <laughs> it says, probably the best bike shop in the world. Would you would you say that Jason's got that right there, Mike? I, I would, because, you know, in the past we've talked about, uh, you know, there's, there's so much to be said about uh, a welcoming store mm -hmm. uh, employees, just uh, being open and, and nice and talking to you and taking care of your needs. And, and uh, I didn't buy anything that day, but I talked to multiple uh, employees of Jason's and um, everybody was cool. And you don't, you didn't get any vibe, um, you know, that you're walking through a, a high end bike store that, 
you couldn't afford anything or the way, you know, some people just look at you sideways and, you know, what are you doing here? Are you not looking at the S works, you know? <laughs> so yeah, I, uh, not only, not only was it a fantastic shop, of course, but I did think that the, the selection of components and, uh, all the gear that goes along with it and sunglasses, shoes, et cetera. But then, and maybe Jason will talk about this as well, but the entire basement was filled with used mm. bike gear. And, uh, one of the things we talked about before Jason was, um, the quantity of stems that we have as, as bike owners <laughs> is always through the roof, yeah. but it, it looked like you had 10 times the amount of stems as, <laughs> as all of us, of course. But that's fantastic because you were selling them at a, at an affordable price. I noticed, I think they were like 10 bucks a piece. That's right. Wow. That's awesome. And Right. And you know, when people are fitting themselves to a bike, whether they're coming to us or coming to Eric and saying, Hey, my bike is a little bit weird and uncomfortable. They always end up with a 50 to a hundred dollar bike stem just because they're not able to find a, a used one like that, or you have to go on Facebook. So the fact that you've got a basement filled with rims and group sets and components and everything was fantastic. I, I thought it was great. Cool. And probably is my humble side of that. I didn't say the best bike shop. <laughs> probably. <laughs> probably. <laughs> well, Mike, I'm glad that you confer- confirmed that as an objective, you know, bike shop customer because i just want to point out that here on the velo chumps we don't just have a run-of-the-mill bike shop owner we have the owner of probably (laughs) the best bike shop in the world that's who we get on our show so i just wanted to make sure the audience knows you know this is top-notch guests we have here so that's that's awesome i'm glad you confirmed that for us mike (laughs) but it it definitely reminded reminded me of uh you know the the best coffee in the world from the movie yeah Yeah, that's right (laughs) but you know, but I think there's something to be said for that because Mike did write back to us in our little group chat we have. And he said, oh, I just went into a bike shop here on vacation and it was the one of the best bike shops I've ever been to. And I talked to the owner and it was it was exactly what we would want in our neighborhood because we talked a little bit about the lack of a good cycling culture that was what I would call fostered by the bike shops in our area. Because, you know, buying a bike and getting into cycling can be intimidating. And sometimes you walk into a bike shop and you're already intimidated and then you leave even more intimidated when you started. And that's the kind of people that just don't end up getting on a bike. They might have had some interest and they didn't get on and they we just lose them from the cycling community. And that's something we were sort of bemoaning. But Mike seemed to make it like make it out like this was absolutely not the case in your bike shop. And, you know, based on that conversation and just based on the fact that you just um, you know, you talked about how Mike just talked about how you're selling used parts at a reasonable rate to get people onto bikes. And, you know, and you can tell us a little bit about some of these rides you do. You sent me some YouTube videos that just looked amazing. It just made me want to move down there so I could hang out with you guys and do yeah. your, your bike rides. Okay, so how'd that mountain bike race go this past week? It was so much better than I expected. I, I, it was it, so you've done this one before, right? Yeah. So I did it in 2015. It was the first time. And then we did it again in 16. And then in 17, this guy came out of Belgium, the country, and it was called city mountain biking and, uh, ended up being 16 countries came. It was a UCI event, televised on ESPN two. It exploded. Wow. We did that for two years. Um, but what happened, man, is that it, it was really good for the resume and it looked really good on paper, but it wasn't really helping the local cycling community. There was only two or three people that had the ability to race with those guys. And it was kind of going against like what I stand for, you know? Um, so then COVID happened. So we took a, we took a little bit of time off and we brought it back this year for the first time. And it was, uh, we had about 
80 mountain bikers show up, um, but probably about 1,500 people to come spectate. So that was uh, was a beer drinking, barbecue eating, DJ playing. It was it was a really good time, really good time. Yeah, you guys had good weather for it too. Man, I got so lucky, dude. It, it stormed like hell on Friday, and it stormed like hell on Sunday. And Saturday was like just beautiful. It was like seventy degrees, and, and all the pollen was gone. And on top of it, um, I, I don't know. It was, everything just lined up so well. We raced through right on bikes. We actually raced through the bike shop. Uh, we jumped a tow truck. We had a DeLorean down there with smoke under it. We called it the 88 mile an hour sprint. <laughs> we had two wall rides and we had to jump over a fence to through this bar into a courtyard down some stairs. It was about a half mile track. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and something like that, of course, is so much better for the local business too. If everybody's out enjoying it and the nice weather. And Yeah. That's what's kind of cool about it, man, is even some of the people that are not like big Jason fans, when I fill your bar up at three o'clock in the afternoon, <laughs> You like me today, you know. <laughs> so it's just funny how that works out. Yeah. How did you come up with that? What was the the genesis of that ride you're talking about? The, the urban yeah. mountain bike race. So there's a um, there's a race in Athens, Georgia called Twilight. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's worth coming to if y'all haven't been. It's in April. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Athens is University of Georgia. It is the biggest party you've ever seen with a bike race around it, and it's a road yep. bike race. Um. It's phenomenal, man. Those guys, they're, you know, they're hitting 40 miles an hour on the sprints. Like, it's just really, really something to watch. And uh, I love going to it. It got I went there before I was in the industry, and uh, I really liked it a lot. But I like mountain biking more. Road biking, I, do, I ride road more because it's easier mm-hmm. as far as, like, get on my bike and go somewhere. But I really enjoy the mountain biking because on a road bike, it's kind of like meditation. I get to think about things. But a mountain bike, I get a break from all my thoughts. So – I enjoy mountain biking, but the racing is not spectator friendly because yep. it's like you start, it's like, woo, and then you're gone 30 minutes and you're like, oh, there, there's Eric again. And ooh, oh yeah, he's gone. And that was mountain bike racing. So there's no spectators that come to races. So my idea was, man, if we had a short track in the middle of downtown, we could get the racing and the spectators. It could be a huge win for everyone. And that's what happened and just turned into something really awesome. So oh, that's awesome. And you got you got a buy-in from Columbus as well, or the are they uh, providing support and that sort of thing? Um, they will more. We we had a change of leadership this past time, so I kind of had to reprove it, mm-hmm. you know, like approve it that this is going to be something. But it was it was such a good turnout. Um, I feel like I'm going to have to limit the amount of riders in it next year because everyone I've had a hundred percent positive feedback. That never happened. yeah, that's awesome. I have not had one complaint. <laughs> Everything was like, man, and it, the only complaint people had is, man, I wish I had known when I, could, I was able to do it. Like, I thought you were going to make it so difficult I couldn't do it. But there was nine-year-old kids racing. Oh, you man, know what I mean? Like, awesome. you could, anybody could do it. I mean, it. Mike will try yeah. to beat a nine-year-old kid if we see him out on the road. But, you know. <laughs> I've heard so that story. I listened to that podcast. good that you're, you're giving them an opportunity. The ones that Mike is uh, shutting them down and crushing their dreams, you're building them back up. That's yeah. awesome. <laughs> The quantity of times you come across punk ass nine year olds <laughs> nowadays, you got to take advantage of it. Somebody's got to put oh, them in their place. <laughs> That's right. And it's yeah, right. apparently, <laughs> apparently. So, so, Jason, here's the topic. The question I'm going to ask is: Do you, as a bike shop owner, do you feel some sort of sense of responsibility towards sort of the greater cycling community to try to bring people in and and foster that, you know, sense of you know whatever you want to call it, whether it's community, whether it's togetherness, whether it's welcomeness, whatever it is, 
Do you feel some sort of responsibility to do that? And if you do, how do you go about doing that as a bike shop owner? Awesome. I love that you asked this question. Um, so when this all started, I moved to Columbus to play baseball at Columbus State. And I went on my first road bike ride and they put me on a bike too big. Um, <laughs> and I went out and rode this felt 75 uh, with mountain bike shoes. I knew nothing, right? Mm-hmm. And about 15 miles into the ride onto Fort Benning, I got dropped and I got lost. And I had three hours. Mm-hmm to decide like what I would do differently <laughs> if I had a bike shop. And this is why people don't like cycling because they mm-hmm. were just showing the young buck up and they were trying to like prove something to me, but I, it, it wasn't welcoming at all. And I wanted to create an environment where everyone felt welcomed. And at that time, it was 20 years ago, but the way I saw it, if you weren't a skinny white guy with shaved legs, you weren't welcome in the industry. Mm-hmm. And, uh, is as we know in every other industry besides bikes, apparently is that the women make the decision anyway. And if we can get <laughs> women involved, more guys will be involved and that's just all there is to it. And so I made a lot of efforts over the last, you know, I've gotten, I finally put a smoothie and juice bar in, which solved the issue for a big part of it, but we've been trying to increase the comfortability to, for women and uh, people of color and people that are heavy, mm-hmm. people that are older, like, I got to get them all. When they walk in, they've got to feel super comfortable. So some things you'll see, I rent bikes for $10 a day. I get made fun of for that. Wow. Time. But it's my drug dealer approach. Mm-hmm. So if I can, if I can get you on a bike and it's nice and it's fit properly and I have a moment to talk to you about how the gears shift and get the saddle height right and why this bigger seat is okay on a cruiser, the way your body position and why you, why we ride the small seats. Cause everyone says this is, my butt's too big for the seat and I don't get a chance mm-hmm. to talk to them if they go to Walmart and buy a gel seat cover and it's, mm-hmm. they think they're going to buy a cheap bike to see if they like cycling. But what happens is they get to the, their boys are going numb or the lady parts are getting smashed and their knees are hurting and it doesn't shift. And they go, thank God I didn't buy a nice bike. I hate cycling. Mm-hmm. And I'm over in the corner, like, God, please give me a chance. So I rent bikes for $10 a day to try to break, break the barrier, the price barrier. Um, I don't know if you noticed, Mike, there's no, no price tags on bikes up front. You can't see the prices, um, on my high end bikes. I very, very rarely keep a price on a bike that's high end. If you're looking for that bike, you know, the price, if you're not looking for that price, that bike, I don't want you to know the price because it's going to scare you away from the industry. (laughs) And then no one at that point, no one wins. I don't win. You don't win. The industry doesn't win. I'm not able to get more bike lanes because I don't have the movement of the community. The group rides don't work. Therefore, when I go to like Moe's barbecue, we did last Tuesday for the full moon ride. They don't get the improvement. Everyone loses. If I lose the customer before I get a chance to tell them the value of a bicycle. So that's kind of one of the, to answer your question to start off with is like, that was one of the barriers. I felt like we got to break down is the 99.9% of my customer base. They're not racers. Mm-hmm. They're not, they're not wearing spandex. They're not comfortable in that situation. That guy finds me, you know, Mike walks in the door. He's a cyclist. He's going to, he's going to walk in the door. I don't have to even market to Mike. He's going to find me. He was walking by, happened to be in Columbus. He's going to walk in the bike shop. The soccer mom that feels like she's overweight or whoever you want to put in that category. There's a thousand different people. They're intimidated by the bike shop. I'm trying to find them to get them in the door to make them feel comfortable and I know I will do any trick I can come up with. I'll, I have a thousand of them to get you on a bicycle because I feel so confident if I can get you on a bicycle pedaling, it can change your life. Man, this is fantastic. I love this conversation because this is what what I would love to see in every neighborhood, not just in Columbus, Georgia, because, you know, my one of my things is 
I don't need everybody to be on a, you know, a high end, you know, five figure road bike and trying to ride 25 miles an hour because, you know, it's only a small subset of people. But the more people that are just pedaling a bike, whether it be a cruiser, whether it be a fat bike, whether it be a mountain bike, whatever it is, the more people that are on bikes, the better it's going to be. Like you kind of mentioned, you can get bike lanes, you can get involvement in the government and in the community, all of these things. So I really like one of the questions I had for you, you pretty much answered it is, you know, do you see it one of your goals to get more and more people on bikes? But I, I mean, you already kind of answered that. I mean, it seems like that's your main goal. Well, I mean, Eric, there's no like you can't throw rocks at yeah. riding bicycles. Yeah. Like, you know, I mean, you'll hear like the worst thing I've ever heard is that we take up bike lanes and you've heard that argument. Mm-hmm. But man, it, it's low impact. It's healthy. It's not bad on the environment. I've literally, man, I could tell you, I could spend the next hour telling you stories of relationships that have been saved over the bicycles, over kids that have gotten off Ritalin, mm-hmm. uh, off of riding their bike one hour a day. There's a really cool article I'd really recommend looking up called Riding is My Ritalin. And mm-hmm. it's uh, specialized in Stanford University. They did a big study, put kids on bikes for one hour a day and seeing the difference of getting them off their ADHD medicine. Um, you know, the health benefits of it, the environmental, the friends that come along with it, the beer drinking afterwards. I mean, there's nothing that's wrong with cycling. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It's just such a great sport. Yeah, and even just an activity. I mean, it doesn't even have to be thought of as a sport. It doesn't even have to be thought of as competitive. Right. It can just be something you do that you enjoy. I mean, we ride. I mean, obviously, if you listen to any of our episodes, you know, we're sort of like oddball people that we ride our bikes a lot. And that's just not the normal community, right? I mean, it, it's just not. But in, in our neighborhood, it's it's something where we – at least me, we want to encourage anybody to get on a bike. And, you know, that's why we, you know, for us, we have our donut ride every Friday where it's just ride to the donut shop and just have fun. Just enjoy yourself. Just be out in the air, not in your your office, not in your bedroom, you know, not in front of your phone, just out in the real world. And the more we can do that, the better. So, so quick question, these $10 bikes, I mean, are these actual bikes you could sell that you're renting for $10 or are they yeah. like a, you have a rental fleet or how does that work? I have a rental fleet, but I have there. I kind of call them demo bikes. So okay. What I do, my my rental bikes they start at ten dollars. They go up to a hundred dollars. That's a day rate. Yep. I'm not trying to squeeze you out of. It. If you want to bring it back in 24 hours, that's fine. The end of the day, I have options to return them after hours. And let's say that you rent, um, you can rent a tarmac too. Okay, so you mm-hmm. got a specialized tarmac. You rent it for the day. That one's fifty dollars for the day. Um, I size you to it, teach you about the shifting, all the things. I try even if you know everything, I still try to teach you something. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe. Maybe something I'll tell you will spark something you hadn't heard yet. And if you decide to buy a bicycle from me of any bike within that 30 days, I take that rental price off your purchase. So it wasn't a waste, you know? Um, And it comes with a helmet, of course, you know, we try to make that. And it's, it's the chance I get to earn trust. Um, When I go through that process with you, we have a fit room. It's a glass fit room. So it's private, but not creepy private. Mm -hmm. And um, I get to spend some time with you in there and go through and talk to you about cadence and, you know, how to get on and off the bike. It's just, it's stuff that we kind of take for granted, you know, understanding that what, how a Presta valve works and really trying to go through the basics of with every single person that walks in the door. And, um, that guy that is, has a lot of pride, you know, the guy I'm talking Mm -hmm. about that I try to break it down for him differently. And I, I don't want the, the person that doesn't have pride to feel like they can't ask me a question, you know? Yeah. Um, That's awesome. We just try to lay it out. got a process of it where you can, Hopefully you walk out of there and know something you didn't know when you got there. And I, and I, 
how many of those first time buyers would you say are coming back with friends or family that they've, you know, talked into cycling because they've loved it or the experience so much as well? Yeah, I don't have a percentage for you, but it's got to be the majority. It's so big because what happens is they become a better person. You know, they're, uh, I'm the same way. If I, if I'm, I can always tell when I'm being a jerk because my, my actually fiance, I can say that now. She'll say, oh, congrats. Hey babe. Thank you. Yeah. She'll say, Hey babe, uh, are you going to get a chance to ride today? And I'm like, Oh, <laughs> understood. <laughs> understood. We're just better people. I don't open till 11 o'clock. Um, and that's because I want my team to ride in the morning and because we're better. We're, you know, I'm a very much, so I put my team first. Um, Every, all my, the guys and girls that work for me, I put them first because I, I believe personally. And just so you know, I'm expecting y'all to challenge me because I've listened to y'all's podcast. I love that y'all challenge <laughs> each other. You don't have to agree with anything I say. I love the debate. So, yeah, feel free to jump on me at any point. Well, so far, you're yeah. saying everything we want to hear. We basically yeah. either, we're all going to have to move to Columbus or we're going to need to bring yeah. you and your bike shop up here. Really, that's, that's what was going yeah. on here. But what I figured, I was going to run my, up and I was going to run up and do a shot there. <laughs> yeah, come, back. come on. Yeah, so I, uh, you know, I try to put my team first because what I believe is if my team's happy, you're going to get the best service ever when you walk in the door. So they, you know, they have a um, small example, real quick. I don't want to get too far off base, but we were open Monday through Saturday for the first 18 years of my career. I was trying to figure out open on Sunday because that could be the biggest day of mm-hmm. the week. Obviously, COVID happened. Um, I had three team members that I couldn't allow to be in around it because they had some major health issues. They were the statistic, you know? Mm-hmm. So, well, then I was half-assed every day. Nobody was getting good service and we were getting run over during COVID. As you know, every bike shop was, um, I got really lucky when yep. I'll tell you about that. I actually had inventory when nobody else did. We'll get to that later. But so I decided to close Sunday and Monday just because COVID's only going to last a couple months. Right. <laughs> yeah. We'll say Sunday, Monday, and we'll just do Tuesday through Saturday so everybody gets good service when they come in the door. Well, what happened, man, was the morale of my team went through the roof, uh, including myself. I was better to work with. I enjoyed going to work more. Everyone was better. Mm -hmm. And I realized that the sales that I would have increased on Sunday, Monday were not worth the morale that I had caused to drop unintentionally, obviously. And so I decided to stay Tuesday through Saturday. And see how people get upset. I know I lose sales, but man, the environment that we work in and the environment you get to walk in is so much better because of that. And that that's the value of that's way higher for me. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, there's actually two questions I want to ask about that. So I will come back to the pandemic because that's one of the questions I had because okay. it was such a, a fascinating time for bikes. And I wanted to ask you about that. But, you know, you mentioned the the service and building the trust. And I mean, what I will tell you is that in this area, any of the bike shops in this area at all. And it's sort of a sad thing. And I can tell you this. I mean, I just built a bike from the frame up actually over the weekend. I just rode it the first two times the last two days, 100% by myself, 100%. I did everything. And the reason I know how to do all that stuff is I got fed up taking stuff to bike shops and I did, learned how to do it myself. If I had a competent bike shop in my area, I don't think I would have learned how to do all this stuff because I would have been felt comfortable taking it there. But I mean, you know, when uh, I have a Tarmac SL7 and you probably Ooh. as a specialized dealer would remember when the integrated headset had to be recalled. Uh, yeah, it was probably yeah, I had a break, lot of problems. Out for you, right? sweat right now. Yeah, it was terrible. But, you know, the, the shop that I bought my bike from that I thought was a good shop, I took it to them, obviously, for the recall. I mean, it was the place I bought it. It wasn't even just I was bringing it into some random shop. Yeah. And they, they botched it. They didn't do it right. I had to redo a lot of it myself, which was frustrating. And it's just like, you know what? I'm going to learn how to do everything. I can't, I can't, I can't 
trust these people. So unfortunately, that's the case with a lot of bike shops that we come around. And what do you do differently to ensure that you're building the trust, both of the brand new cyclists that you talked about, but also someone like me who, I mean, you know, we're really, really into cycling. I mean, we're, we're riding 10,000 miles a year and we're, you know, all kinds of, you know, we're doing mountain bike, we're doing road bike, we're doing gravel, all of that stuff. Like, how do you make sure that you earn the trust of your customers? Well, I think first it starts with the team that I build. Um, and when you're working on a bicycle, I don't care if it's the fit person or if it's the girl renting the bike up front or if it's the guy taking your bottom bracket apart. What we're doing is extremely important. It is life and death. And I'm not exaggerating. Mm -hmm. I'm not joking. I'm not being a paranoid person. If something happens to that bike, the way we ride our bikes, it could be game over. And I take it very, very seriously. Um, now, saying that, I sell about 1,500 bikes a year. New. That's not including the used stuff. Mm -hmm. We are going to make mistakes. Um, I'm a pilot. And I learned through being a pilot, the checklist, we have a mm -hmm. checklist for every single bike that walks in the door. Because, you know, when you're flying your airplane, the reason you have a checklist is because everything's super important. Yep. You can't afford to miss anything. Well, bikes are the same way. <laughs> it's yeah. no different. You know what I mean? It's the same exact thing for me. And um, my team, when they come on board, it's very crystal clear how important their job is. And I give them the space and the, you know, they, they have a chance to get away from the customer. I will give them a barrier so they can focus. And I think that that's it. And when I do make a mistake, which it will happen, it's 100% mm -hmm. my fault, regardless who makes the mistake. It's my fault. It's my responsibility. I take full responsibility for it. Um, and I, you'll never hear me put my team down. That won't happen. And at that point, I overcorrect it. Mm -hmm. I overfix it. <laughs> at whatever it takes. It, man, if I knew that I, my team had botched that stem on you, man, somehow you would end up having a new kit. Something would have happened mm -hmm. on the other side of it. You're like, damn, dude, I wish they made more mistakes. Like, that was awesome. <laughs> you know, something would happen where, I, because I don't, it should never happen, but it's going right. to at a certain point of, you know, you do so, touch so many bikes, it's going to happen. Um, I think that that's, my team's constantly getting trained. We're constantly going to SBCU with uh, Specialized. We're constantly doing, you know, park tool seminars, uh, salsa, you know, quality bike products. I've heard mm -hmm. y'all mention before. They do, a, that's where all this stuff came from. But they um, they do a lot of training. So my guys are always learning something. And um, that's I think that's where the confidence comes from. So when a customer comes in, if you came in, I would say, hey, guys, y'all want to learn how to do this? Or you want me just to knock it out for you? <laughs> and sometimes you want to learn. Like yeah. you in particular, you would love David Kemp, my service manager, because if you wanted to learn – and you weren't, you know, you weren't just looking over his shoulder being aggravating. Mm -hmm. and, and you brought him a six pack of beer. You would know so much about your bike before you left. And he would love showing Man, you you're interested. You I'm, know? I'm coming on vacation. I'm going on vacation <laughs> to Columbus, Georgia. <laughs> yeah. So, so Jason, you just mentioned something that I've never heard of before, but it sounds like Eric may have heard of it as uh, SBCU. So yeah. It looks like it's the specialized university. They do training for all dealers there. That's right. Yeah. So it started out um, where I would go to California. Like I would go to specialized and they put me through a class. So it's specialized bicycle component university is what it stands for. And I've gone for everything from um, setting up the store from like a retail standpoint and so merchandising. Uh, Lululemon came in and taught the course, which is really cool. Uh, we went all the way down to San Jose. We went into the Tesla shop. We went into H&M and we learned that there's an odd number of mannequins that you take three to five steps fast into a store. Then you stop, you look two o'clock, 10 o'clock. We learned those things and how 
if you notice in my store, it'll work its way up. So you'll have like browns, greens, blues, like moving up. Mm -hmm. um, there's certain certain levels of things that I will never go below. I, I also learned like I used to have three levels of bikes. Now I have two. It was less intimidating. Um, so all those things, I have things that I learned at SBCU. And then there's a finance course. There's bike fitting courses, multiple of those I've been to. Uh, and then you can go to like, I did a suspension course. So SRAM and uh, Rock Shocks, they held a suspension course up in the Pisgah National Forest in North Carolina. So I flew a couple of guys up there. They took that course. So there's a lot of courses that are offered through them. So is that SBCU offered, would you, would you say every specialized shop has got people going to it? Or is it really only if that shop elects to send people? So it's supposed to be that we have to go to two classes a year per shop. Um, they changed it recently, uh, through COVID. Now it's all online training. Mm. Everything's online. And now because they're going direct to consumer, which I'm sure we'll get a chance. Yep. To talk about. That was on my list. Um, we'll come back yeah. to that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now you as a consumer can go through SBC. You can learn about your own bike. Okay. Um, and that you can get rewards for it, which my team were the only ones getting that at one point. So back before they went direct to consumer, ride on bikes was the number one shop in the world with SBCU. We nice. won every award. Uh, so we won the Turbo Award and we won the SBCU Award for the most classes taken. Um, and they sent us all kinds of swag and prizes, you know, and kind of, you know, patted us on the back. Uh, and I did it because my customer was getting a better experience. Mm -hmm. Everyone was talking the same language. We all knew what we we're saying. You want to lose trust. You have two people on your team say two different things. Yep. Yeah. And that's where things go terribly wrong. Um, so that's what was so good about SBCU for my team. Man, I have so many questions for you. I mean, like, this is like going way off of uh, what I had written down here. But, <laughs> but you good. know, the, the question I have is one of the things that I think is interesting about the bicycle industry, and I think it would be interesting to hear your take on it, because what you're talking about is that you invest in your, your employees, you invest in your staff, you're training them, you're making sure that they have the right morale, you're giving them a chance to ride, all of these things, right? But at the same time, I know that it's got to be frustrating as a shop because I understand knowing how to work on my bike now that this stuff is complicated. And like you said, it's life and death. I mean, when people bring their bike to me, I take that very seriously as well. I'm not going to let someone go out there. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if you heard it on some of the previous podcasts, but people will bring me a bike and literally their brakes don't work. <laughs> and I'm like, you, you can't ride this. You can't ride this. This is not okay. You have to, you, you, we have to fix this. You know, I can't give you your bike back until this is fixed. Right. And right. But at the same time, people view bikes differently than cars. If you bring your car in because it needs to be fixed and it costs $500, people are going to be like, oh, that's pretty cheap. I'm going to pay that. If you bring a yeah. bike in and there's something seriously wrong with it, not that you're charging $500, but if the bill comes in the $500 range, people are going to be like, for a bike, that's crazy. But you have to pay the people to do that work. And it's very critical, very important work. And, and parts these days are very expensive. After COVID, parts went through yeah. the roof. So Everything, yeah. how do you deal with those kind of customers that they just don't expect to pay that much to ride a bike, but it's critically important that you do that. And then how do you manage to keep your staff so engaged in the high morale with all of that going against you? I'd really love to hear your, your take on that. It's a really touchy subject, really. Um, you know, a lot of times, so what I've done is I've trained everyone on my team. Um, so the 21 year old female up front, there's not, no one's expecting she's beautiful. Uh, <laughs> nobody's expecting her to know to check your chain to see mm -hmm. if it's worn. 
So we have a repair sent up front. When the customer comes in for any kind of service, she's going to pop it up there. Whoever's up there is going to pop yep. it up. I just like it when it's her because nobody expects it. Yeah. And she's she's going to go through. She's going to talk. She's going to say, oh, your your tires are not dry, right? They look really good. Your chain's 75% worn. Mm -hmm. uh, we recommend getting that changed. And they go, she goes through the process. So before you ever leave, you're pretty well aware of what it's going to be. Now, she will miss something or I will miss something up front. And we didn't realize the bottom racket was creaking. Mm -hmm. So we didn't catch it, you know? And at that, this is a tricky point. And I would love to hear your opinion on this because this is what's happening right now. We have a basement where the bikes are hanging on a hook. Um, so I know that Mike's bike is on hook 63. And I bring it up, I'm working on his bike. And we have all the notes that Micaiah has typed up mm -hmm. for us that, 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 Mike, that uh, Mike's already approved. And then I find the bottom bracket. So I'm like, dang, man, I'm not going to fix it without calling him. Okay. Good. That, uh, and it, if it's an easy fix, but I'm not yeah. going to fix it and then pay you, charge you, you know, whatever. And so I, I call, and then Mike doesn't answer because he's at work and his voice smells full. I'm like, damn, man. So we wait for a bit, try to call again, nothing. So what happens is that bike gets put back, mm -hmm. it gets out of rotation. And it's not Mike's fault. It's not really my fault either. So we're, we're, we're kind of playing with some ideas right now of a texting service where I can text you because it's more likely to respond to me. Um, but that is one of the challenges we get because I don't want to fix it without you knowing. I don't want you to show up with a, a surprising charge. Nobody likes that, including myself. Um, and then the other part of I think may help answer that question. If Mike brings me in a bike that it's not worth what we're about to put into it, mm -hmm. I'll say, hey, man, you know, I, I, you'll, I'll always compliment your bike regardless. <laughs> the color, the pedals, I like those lights on your spokes. Something's going to be positive about it. But I was like, hey, you know, the value of this bike versus the work it needs, the only way it's really worth it is if this bike is sentimental, sentimental to you. Mm -hmm. And that gives them a chance to either say, yes, man, my grandmother gave it to me. You're not making fun of their bike. You're not saying don't fix it. You're just giving them a chance to go, yeah, man, this is my grandmother's bike. It's real important to me. And they don't feel bad about saying that. They already agreed it. Mm -hmm. Or, man, I don't really think. And so, and then I give them another option at that point. We have a program we work with um, where we give underprivileged kids bikes for Christmas. We gave away 1100 last year, which is one of our smaller nice. years. And that when that happens, I can say, hey, Mike, i tell you what we could do. Man, I could put this in our donation file, and I'll make sure it gets in the hands of a kid this this Christmas. If you like to do that, and if you want to do that, I'll give you you know fifty dollars off another purchase. So I try to give them a plenty of options where they mm -hmm. don't think I'm just trying to take advantage of them. We've been taking advantage by, of salesmen for so long that it takes me a little while to break that barrier down. So I don't know if that answers your question. I might have messed around it a little. I mean, bit, I think but. it does because I think that if you're if you're showing them that they you have their interest in heart, they're going to feel more comfortable to say, yeah, you know what? I guess it's I guess it does need two hundred fifty dollars worth of work or 500 or whatever that is. I mean, I mean, the challenge for me is a lot of people don't even know what a bottom bracket is. And then you tell them, well, your bottom bracket is shot. And they're yeah. like, well, what, what is that? And then you have to explain to them how right. it is, how important it is. You can't ride around with a bottom bracket where the bearing is shattered. It's, it's just your bike's not going to work. But yeah. I mean, people don't don't even know what those things are. But I think that you're telling if you're saying that you're giving them multiple options and you're making sure that they feel that you have their interest at heart. I think that's the right way to go about it. As a, as a customer, I would feel happy about that myself. Well, one of my tricks I would do too is if let's say you bring that bike into me and I realize it, that you just don't know yet. Mm -hmm. And instead of me trying to make you feel dumb about the difference in your Walmart bike and the new bike, hey, Eric, I'll tell you what. Hey, man, just take this bike on me. It's going to take me a couple of days to get your bike fixed. Go ride this bike and uh, I'll see you in a couple of days. 
and you call me the next day, you're like, you're an asshole. <laughs> I know. <laughs> that happens a lot. Okay. And even even like a not, you know, the SL7 is going to be a little different when you get to that point. But when you're riding your base model tarmac yep. and you break a spoke, I am going to do everything I can to put my wheels on your mm-hmm. bike to go ride for the weekend. My personal wheels. I'm going to take it off my bike. I'm not going to charge you. And you're going to average two miles an hour faster. <laughs> and you're going to be pissed. And you're going to buy me a set of wheels. That's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> That's a great yeah. idea. I like it. <laughs> All right. So, I mean, there there are a few things I really wanted to talk to you about. And one of them was the pandemic. And I would really love to hear your take because, you know, for us as the consumer, it was wild because nobody could get a bike. Nobody could, you could barely get service. I mean, that was another reason I learned how to do stuff because if you needed to bring something into a bike shop during that time, it was, I mean, it was like a three to four week backlog for anything like getting brake pads changed. You know what I mean? And I'd be really interested to hear your, um, perspective on the other end like did did you feel like at some point like you couldn't you couldn't do it anymore you had to change things drastically i mean what what was it and and how did you you mentioned something about you managed to have inventory so that might be an interesting story but i just really want to hear it from your perspective how this affected you as a bike shop sure so the inventory part is very short so i hit that real quick um, I was in Colorado. We ha- I have an adventure company. I take people around the world doing fun stuff. We were doing a ski trip in Steamboat Springs when it started hitting. Mm-hmm. And it, it made it, you know, we, we saw it overseas. Yep. I ordered a thousand bikes right then. Um, I never dreamed it was coming to the States. So I'm not acting like I had some crystal ball, but my bikes are built in Taiwan at that yep. time. And I was like, oh crap, they could stop building bikes. I ordered a thousand bikes. I had to use a friend's building to store them. Everyone thought I'd lost my mind when they showed up. Because when they showed up, our Chattahoochee River had flooded and the river walk was flooded. There was nowhere to ride. And all of a sudden, I just got bikes out of my ears when they were stacked up everywhere. And then COVID started hitting the States. And I thought I'd screwed up. I I thought I hung myself. I thought that was it for ride on bikes. I had all these bikes because you own them. It's not like they're on, you know, they're not like a floor plan situation. And so when that happened, um, all, everything started shutting down. Our mayor is, uh, he's, he's interesting, <laughs> um, but he shut everybody down, but he left me, let me stay open because I do so many wheelchair tires that they put me in as essential. Okay. Business. So this was when the, they weren't real sure what essential was, it wasn't going to be. So I was able to stay open. Uh, I didn't take COVID very serious at first. Um, I didn't know to my best friend who, um, is got no health issues at all. He almost died. And uh, they were trying to find a ventilator for him. And they said, if he didn't get a ventilator that night, it wasn't going to work. I couldn't go see him. He's like my brother. And the day that I realized that it was super serious, my bike shop was getting over. Mm-hmm. We had like 50 people at a time. It was so many people. And there was the doctor called me, said, I got some good news for your friend. A lady's been on a ventilator 13 days. We're going to get her off the ventilator. We're going to give it to your Jeremy. And I was like, oh, so she's doing better? He said, no, she's not going to make it, but your friend has a better chance. Wow. And that was the point I realized I had not taken it seriously enough. I walked back in. It was 3.30 on a Friday, and I apologized to everybody in the store, and I apologized to my team. I was like, guys, I have underestimated this thing. I don't – I just maybe it's worse than I thought. I got to reset. Hmm. So we got everybody out. We closed for 10 days. I did all the research I could. I called every doctor and everybody wow. I could trying to figure this out. Uh, of course, I kept paying my people. And we started a process where we had a gate. Uh, we did the six feet, I, mm-hmm. you know, put masks. I didn't know what the right thing to do was. I was just trying to protect my team the best way I knew how. 
Um, and what we did is every time somebody would come up at a gate, we would let that group, that family, whatever, in for a salesperson. I could keep them apart from each other and that kind of thing. Well, what I didn't expect is the next day I came to work and the line, Mike, you remember the Iron Bank coffee shop down the street? The line went all the way down to the Iron Bank coffee shop. It was over half a block. People were waiting to get in the store the next day. And it, it was wild. I was the only one that had inventory. <laughs> and people were coming from all over the southeast. And stuff like this was happening. Guy walks in. He waits for 30 minutes to talk to the owner. I get over there. He said, I buy all my bikes from this shop down in Albany. I said, yes, sir. He's like, you're the only person in this entire country that has this bike in stock. I was like, yes, sir. He's like, what's the best you can do on it? I was like, you've got to be the worst negotiator of anyone I've ever met in my entire life. <laughs> I'll tell you what, I won't charge you over retail, okay? I'm just charging retail. And during that time, I feel like one of the things that was uh, a lot of bike shops screwed up is it's not going to last forever. We were booming. It was really, really good. It's one of my highest sales years I've ever had. But it's not going to last forever. And you got to be working those relationships still. you got to be treating people good. You cannot take advantage of people because you got the power. And as long as you don't do that, they'll remember you. If you take advantage of them when the when it, to the tables are turned, which they have at this point, I still have a following where a lot of bike shops are getting the middle finger because they didn't take care of people when they had the power. So I, I think that was the biggest thing that set Ride on Bikes apart. And the reason I think we're going to be able to ride out this low spot that we're in right now. Oh, man, that's awesome. Now, I want to ask you this. It's about the direct-to-consumer. Now, you mentioned that you're a specialized dealer and you have a business relationship with specialized. So I understand and I respect that if you need to, like, you know, pull your punches a little bit and not be completely straightforward. But we don't have a business relationship with specialized other than the fact that Mike and I have a one way business relationship with them that we buy a lot of bikes from specialized. So they owe us that from that perspective. But what we see is that specialized is almost moving in on the retailers and even pushing them out of the way to have their own their own market and control the market themselves. And I don't know if that's the great thing for us as riders in general. It might be good for specialized. I've seen a lot of stores that were privately owned become specialized stores. I've seen them try to move to direct consumer, try to sell more things online, which is good for them. But I still think that the bike shop is the lifeblood, is the heartbeat of the cycling community. And they can't, I don't think a specialized is going to get what they want if they eliminate bike shops. So, like I said, I understand if you, you know, you have a business relationship with them. But um, at the same time, you, do, what do you feel as a bike shop that you've been in, you've been in business for all these years? What do you feel with how things are going with this direct to consumer situation now? So to start with, I, there, you don't have to worry about me holding anything back. Uh, Specialized yeah. is my competition now. They're they're not my partner anymore. I mean, okay. I, I carry their bicycles, but they compete directly with me. Um, yep. I the joke was I had an S tattooed on my ass. I've had Specialized since 2003. <laughs> I drank the Kool Aid. I love the brand of Specialized. When I walk in, I don't know how he does it, but Mike Senior, the owner of Specialized, hey Jason, mm -hmm. how's Columbus? He has made me feel like I was family. Um, we went out dancing, me and his wife. I feel, I feel very close to the company. I've drank the Kool-Aid more than anybody you've ever met. When they flipped and started selling direct to consumer, when mm -hmm. that happened, man, it felt like my wife had cheated on me. It honestly did. My anger level, I got my feelings hurt really, really bad at first. I couldn't believe it. 
and it sounds like I'm being soft, but that's just the truth. No, this is what then I want to hear. Pissed. This is what I like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Then I got pissed, and I told the owner of Specialized that I was going to put all of the Specialized bikes in my courtyard in a big pile, and I was going to set them on fire <laughs> because I would make more money on the YouTube video than yes. I would on the margin he was giving me right now. Yes. Um, if I haven't looked in the last few weeks. The last time I looked, Specialized had bought 274 bike shops. Mm-hmm. What they have severely, severely miscalculated is the reason we work in bicycle shops is to not work for the man. That's the reason we're there. So I can give you a perfect example. Brevard, North Carolina. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar. It's right outside of Asheville. Um, Pisgah National Forest, DuPont, these incredible mountain bike parks. Specialized in Trek came and bought all the shops up. Well, guess what happened to all Mm -hmm. the great mechanics? They left. They're not working mm-hmm. for the man. They don't like that corporate productive bullshit. They like to come in at 1030 like my team does. And they yep. don't want to tie their shoes. And they don't want to wear a button-up shirt with an S on it. They don't want to do that. That's the reason they're in the industry. They're not there for money. Nobody's in the bike industry for money. That's not what we're here for. And I don't know what Specialized was thinking. So Mike Senior, he stepped down. He calls himself the CRO now, Chief Riding Officer. <laughs> And good for him. He had his, he, he, t- he touched that company, man. He was in there every single day. He's very eccentric and he, while he does weird things sometimes, but his passion for cycling and for the dealer was there. He moved in the CEO from Dyson vacuum cleaners to run specialized. Yep. There's all kinds of sucking jokes. If you yep. can imagine this coming yep. out of this. And if, if I didn't know better, I would tell you that specialized is about to go public. Wow. I mean, why, why would they cut us out? out of the middle. Why would they do that? Why would they go buy bike shops up? And it, it doesn't make sense. Why did they just fire 120 employees? Why did they cancel all of their ambassador programs? They look, they're about, they look very, very good on paper. right? Mm-hmm. Now. You know what I yep. mean? But that's, that's just out of, I don't know that I have nothing else to back that up. I'm just looking at it. Like something doesn't make sense. What's happening. Yeah. I mean, that's crazy. And you know, I don't want to turn this into a like completely uh, throw dirt at specialized session, but I mean, I will tell you this. I really like the way their bikes ride. My first main, like my first real yeah. road bike I got was that, uh, it was the first year that LA Sprint came in a two by, and it was that green one that had like a uh, Ultegra 105 mix. I still have that bike. I love it. Woo. I love riding it. Yeah. I have it. It's all, it's upgraded entirely to Dura Ace 9000 right now, but I still love riding that bike. I have the Tarmac SL7, like I said, but this, yeah. This bike I just built up, I bought a Cervelo because it was just so much a better value than what I could get from Specialized at the time. And I just didn't think it was that much worse of a ride than what I could get with a Crux, for example, is I got a, a Sparrow gravel bike. And I just feel like this corporate situation from Specialized is the opposite of what we need in the bike industry because we're trying to get people to feel comfortable. Like I said, we're not trying to p- get people to like, you know, everyone makes a joke. You go into a car dealership. It's like a terrible experience, but you need a car. Right. But right. guess what? Not everybody needs a bike. So we can't have this terrible corporate dealership experience that we're, we have with cars with bikes. It's not going to work. And if, if Specialized is trying to create that, I, I, f- I feel like it's not going to work. So how does someone like you though, that you are a specialized dealer, and now, yes, they are your competition and that they did, you know, whatever they did, which, you know, I remember thinking like, oh, my gosh, I would be pissed if I was a specialized dealer at this announcement. Yeah. I, would be, I, <laughs> yeah. would, I wouldn't know. I would, I would be pissed. So it's, it's a cool story you told about you want to set their bikes on fire. But 
being a specialized dealer, like what is your plan for the future with this, all of this e-commerce and direct to consumers? Like what is your plan to ensure that you can still maintain the stuff you were talking about at the beginning of the show about you want to create this bike culture and get more people on bikes and create this great environment in Columbus and and all of these things. How are you going to continue to do that? Well, so one thing, one thing that I specialize was a crappy product. It'd be so much easier. Yeah. Yeah. I still believe it's the, <laughs> yeah. I, I believe it's the best brand in the market. I really believe that the day I think they're not the best brand, I will drop them and I will go to the better brand. Um, I was a track dealer for 10 years in the middle of this. I had both Trek and specialized. Okay. Um, when I had to make a decision, it was easy for me. Uh, I didn't have, there was no qualms about it. Specialized is a better product. I, I strongly believe that. If you Google what Trek means, it's just a long walk. <laughs> But no, anyway, so, um, yes, that's great. <laughs> just Google it. <laughs> so I, I, that's one of the things is I, I think that specialized is the best product on the market. I have to constantly think about what can specialized not offer that I can offer. How mm-hmm. can I beat them? Well, they can't do a full moon bike ride. They can't yep. do $10 rentals. They can't do service. They can't do bike fits. Not yet. Anyway, they have some plans, I think, to be able to send your bike already set up for you. But, you know, there's there's a lot of I have to constantly do that. They, I can't specialize can't make you laugh and mm-hmm. make you like, I don't know um, when somebody walk. you know, we're in the middle of the SEC, for example. So UGA yep. is Georgia. Auburn's 30 minutes down the road. For some reason, people like University of Alabama <laughs> as well. And I, everybody's into it. I, I could care less, to be honest with you, but whatever logo you have, I'm going to go, hey, Eric, you got something on your shirt, and then, oh, the best you know, best football team in the whatever. And mm-hmm. Specialized can't do that. They can't jank with you. They can't get you laughing. They can't take you to a donut ride. They can't buy your first round on the full moon ride. So I am constantly trying to figure out what I can offer that Specialized can't. I, I was upset. I got angry. Now I'm excited about – how I'm going to fix the cluster that I got myself in <laughs> somehow. So that's what I'm doing is just constantly working on it. it. You know, this is a weird thing that happened, man. And this is something nobody's talking about. Um, Specialized came in, in 2020, into 2020. And was like, Hey man, I saw you have a preseason order. Cause the way it works, we do a preseason order. Yep. They send all the product to us before December 31st. So it's in our warehouse. We have to pay ad valorem tax on it, not in theirs. Right. And then we have to pay for it in thirds, March, April, May. In Chicago, it's probably a little different. It's probably April, May, June, because y'all have a longer winter than we do. Mm-hmm. So there's uh, terms like that that happens. But they're trying to get out of their store, and then they put it on us. They give us a chance to start selling it kind of at the beginning of the spring, and then we pay for it. So I had 600 bikes on back order, on preseason order, I should say. My rep comes in. I was like, hey, man, I saw, you know, man, we just really believe the industry is going to keep booming. You need to order like three times that much. And I was like, man, I just don't want to get hung up with it. You know, I don't want to get all these bikes here. Mm-hmm. I'm just worried. I don't know how long this is going to last, you know. And he's like, well, we feel like it's going to keep going, this and that. You can always cancel them, though. You can always cancel the bikes. But mm-hmm. if you don't have my order, you don't have a chance of getting it. They told every bike shop that. Yep. So I ended up having just over 2,000 bikes on order. And when it started failing, which it was, yep. I started canceling. Well, that's one of their things. It was like, well, guys, we have to go direct to consumer because y'all can't sell all the bikes. We're stacked up in the warehouse. <laughs> but you told yeah. us to order them, you know? It's like it, nobody's talking about that. I don't know why, like the reps, hmm. I don't understand what happened there. Maybe they just got paid on the order or what the deal was. Or was this the plan the entire time? I don't I don't know. I don't especially wow. doesn't just make a decision today to go direct to consumer. 
but it was a really interesting setup that happened. And now like the $700 rock copper that was, it cost me $456 before I ship it, before I pay somebody to build it. They're selling for $488 right now, direct to consumer. Wow. Free shipping. Wow. And so yeah, I'm having to match that price. Sorry, go ahead, Mike. I was going to ask, you know, with, with everything going on with Specialized then, is that one of the uh, factors in you carrying both DeRosa and now I think the next one you're going to mention was KTM mountain bikes? It is. Um, so Specialized told me uh, this past November, December that I would not see another road bike unless orders were canceled for 2023. Wow. What the hell? How am I supposed to run a business on that? I, you know, I don't know. So it's one of the big things behind the used bike shop, you know, is I sold 3,600 bikes, between, or, you know, new bikes between 2020 and 2021. If half of them people stick with it, I'll be surprised because they couldn't go to the gym. They couldn't mm -hmm. go to baseball. They couldn't do all the things. So those bikes are hanging in the garage. I personally believe that things are about to get real tight for us economy wise. And I'm about to get steals on bicycles. That's just all there is yep. to it. And I have to do something to have road bikes and stop because specialized can't provide it. Um, so I bought DeRosa in to fill that tarmac Roubaix line that I just don't have in the store right now. It's a really great product. It is a very hard sell. I'm not doing very well with them. I've sold, I've sold a few. I ride one personally. I really, really like it. That's how, that's how I met Mike. Matter of fact, I'm showing off my sexy nice. DeRosa SK that I got. But it's a really good product. If you like DeRosa, you will drive across the country to get one. My closest dealer is Miami, Florida, which is about 10-hour drive from here, maybe a little further, 12-hour drive. Um, nobody in Atlanta has it. If you like DeRosa, you would do whatever it takes to get it. But it's hard. Specialized is such a solid product that fits everybody. It's easy. Everybody already knows the product. It's such an easy brand to sell, just like Trek, you know, Giant, all those. And DeRosa doesn't have that love. Now, KTM is the bike that we launched on last Saturday. We're the first bike shop in the United States to get them the second round. They were here in the States several years ago, but they're back now. Wow. They've been making bikes since 1964. Um, me and most of my team, we all race motorcycles. Uh, we all race KTM motorcycles on the weekends. And you could pre-ride the course the day before on a bicycle. Hmm. Electric assist works if there's no throttle. Um, so it's a, it's a big deal. And I feel like that the KTM is such a solid product. Um, and they, they were a seventh in Tour de France last year. So they're, they're, it's not, this is not like a chump bike. That's just they put mm -hmm. a stick on the side of it. It's a real company, real product. It's not a, like a Ducati came out with a Ducati bike or Mercedes. It's not like that. It's actually a real bicycle. Yeah. It's really good. They're using Bosch motors, so and so on. But, um, that product, I think it's going to be a really good fit in for ride on bikes. They given me the entire region down here. Um, and I have so much of a moto following and I've tied into the local KTM motorcycle shop. I feel like that's going to just hit it out of the park. Um, I actually, we launched the brand on Saturday. I had a guy trade in a Levo for a $12,000 KTM. Nice. So, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. So I, I have a couple questions and I want to, maybe, maybe if you're, if you're willing, you can dish a little bit here, but one thing you mentioned was that the specialized, yeah. they're not giving you road bikes. What I've seen is specialized go into established markets in a, in a, um, what I would call a desirable location and take over the shop. Do you feel like specialized yeah. might be a attempt, not maybe with you specifically, because your shop is such a, you know, you have a, such a strong, you know, 
following and whatnot, but do you feel like they might be trying to use some of those techniques to get shops to basically say, you know what, we're out and Specialized comes in and buys it and then they have their own retail shop in that location? It's exactly what they're doing. Um, they put <laughs> us in a bad terrible. spot. They take, our, they take our margin away from us Yep. and they start selling direct to consumer. I'll give you a perfect example. I had a guy come in. I didn't see the sale that Specialized dropped. So my bike in the shop was $100 more than the one that they were selling directly online. He bought it directly online. He tried to build it. He screwed up the hydraulic disc brakes. Yep. He calls Rider Care. Specialized calls me. said, hey, man, will you fix this bike? I was like, it doesn't feel like it's my problem, actually. Mm-hmm. It feels like it's your problem because he bought it from you. I said, I'll charge you to fix the bike like I would anybody else. I said, okay. So I have to order the brakes in. I did not have that particular brake in stock. Order the brakes in, spend the time finding it, ship it, put it in. They give me a labor credit and they send me an email that they're not paying retail for parts. They only pay wholesale. <laughs> so they, it's exactly what they're doing. They are squeezing us, man. And not only are they squeezing us, as you know, not just in the bicycle industry, but in general, I have to pay people more, man. They can't afford right. to go to the grocery store. Mm-hmm. I have to pay more. So my margin's gone down. My payroll's going up. I'm getting squeezed. And now all of a sudden the volume's going down. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's and like, oh shit. Like, th- that leads me to my next question is because that's bad for us. Because what that ends up meaning is that you have bike shop, both owners and employees, you know, staff that's overworked, underappreciated, they feel their morale's not high. That translates to us as customers. We just want to come in and buy a chain sure. and we get yelled at or something like that. Or, you know, it's a bad experience just because we need to, you know, whatever, get asking for a tune-up or whatever. And then bikes are hard to come by and so on. So, but what you mentioned is that you're trying to figure out what you can do that Specialized can't. You're trying to create that, uh, you know, whatever value add, whether it's having the relationships with the people, whether it's giving, you know, services that Specialized can't, whether it's rental rental bikes or, you know, the type of, you know, giving people the right services from maintenance and whatever. It, it sounds like you're trying to figure out what can I do to make my bike shop a desirable place to come to help create, right. you know, both keep me in business, but also continue to create this community we've, we've built over the years. So my question is, how come other bike shop owners aren't doing the same thing as you? Do you have any insight into that? All right. I'm going to give you some dirty before we get to that part of it. You ready for it? <laughs> yeah. All right. This is what's happening. Specialized does want to buy a ride on bikes. Okay. And this is how they pitch it to you. This is how they pitch it to you. They say, all right, Jason, look, man, things are tight. I know things are tight. Um, your employees will get specialized benefits. They will get California pay living in Georgia. We will keep all of your employees. You have to go. We're going to give you a handsome price for the, the business. We're going to keep it right on bikes. Think about your team now. They'll get better insurance. They'll get all the things that you can't offer them. So I'm over here loving my mm-hmm. team going, damn, man, am, am I making the right decision trying to ride this out? Am I making the right call? So I start second guessing. Mm-hmm. Thank goodness, man, that I just didn't make a decision. And I watched several of my friends sell yep. out. And then go back to their shops and they're calling me like, man, yeah, they kept all our team, but they put them on such a production scale that they have to hit. They're miserable at work. The morale is terrible. Nobody wants to work there anymore. Everybody's quitting left and right. And I'm like, man, that was dirty. That was super dirty. And that's the way Specialized is treating it. So when they came back, I'm like, dude, I'm not interested. (laughs) It's not the right thing for my community. It's not the right thing for my team. So the answer is no. 
but that so I, I didn't want to get too far away from that. That is what they're doing. No, that, and, that's great. Um, and, and we're starting to see the light as an industry, you know. As a as a consumer, I would much rather walk into a place like Ride on Bikes than into the specialized corporate store myself. I mean, I actually know people that work at the specialized store in Chicago, and I'm not going to say that it's a bad shop or they're bad people or anything like that. But it's like you said, you have that corporate environment, right? It's not the same as walking into an established community bike shop that is doing things like you're doing. So what I would say as a, cons- a consumer, as a bike enthusiast, right, is you made the right decision for me. I mean, I know you have to make it for you, but I would say as a customer, you made the right decision for me. So I I appreciate that sort of thing. And I would appreciate having that sort of a bike shop in my neighborhood. So, you know, kudos to you for being able to, to make the right decision there, at least from my perspective, the right decision. So. Well, yeah, I appreciate that. And it's like, you know, where I felt what I don't want to have my hands tied, man, the reason you've never seen me as a Trek concept store, a specialized concept store, which has been pitched to me and they make it look really good is Fox just came out with a new mountain bike shoe that's better than Specialized. I'm carrying it. I just launched it. I'm carrying it because it's better. And if I was a Specialized concept store, I wouldn't be allowed to do that. That's not serving my customer the right way I should be. It's just not. I don't carry Specialized headlights or computers because they're garbage, man. They're not good. (laughs) They're not good. I don't know if you have one. They're they're a constant pain in the ass. They're ugly. They're big and bulky. Yeah, they're not good. And so there's better product out there. I don't, and I told them, I will carry your light when it's good. You know, like the sticks lights are cool. They're fine. But I'm talking about like trying to see mountain biking. It is not going to be a specialized flux. It's not going to be that light. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to have my hands tied. And I feel like when you go into a concept store, you're getting, I'm not, I still believe specialized is the best brand comprehensive, but there's certain parts they don't hit, you know, and I, I want to be able to offer my customer the best product on the market period. And I feel like that's, keeping ride on bikes as ride on bikes and as Mm -hmm. McKinsey, I had that freedom to do that, you know? You know, but I think like I was, the other question I asked you though, is I feel that that's fantastic. I just don't see a lot of bike shop owners doing that, at least in, at least where we're from, at least Mike in our neighborhood where it's really, I mean, we have the one shop we mentioned that they're trying to do a good job. I feel like they're trying to do some community stuff, maybe not to the extent you are, but the vast majority of bike shops in our area are not doing these things and not trying to create that customer experience or the staff experience. You walk in and the staff is miserable. So like, why are other bike shops not seeing it the same way you are? Like what special insight that you, do you have that others don't that, that, because at the end of the day, you know, if I move into Columbus, Georgia, I might never come to your shop because I'm done with bike shops. That's right. And, I yeah. would be missing out on something. I will now because I, I, I talked to you because Mike was, you know, it was yeah. good enough that Mike walked into your shop that that worked out. But, you know, I might if yeah. I move somewhere else in the country, I might never go to a bike shop and I might miss out on something like that because my overall wholesale experience is not great. And at the end, that's not great for any of us. So, like, what are these other shops missing? What are these owners others missing? And how did you get this insight? And they didn't. Um, so this is a, this is what I get joked on the most, like in the industry, if anybody's going to throw rocks at me, I am a business person that really likes cycling Okay. as opposed to a cyclist trying to be in business. That's two different things. Yep. And a very unpopular thing that I do is I, if you are a cyclist, it's, it's a Nick against you for me to hire you. Um, that hotshot cyclist has not gone well with my style of running a business. Okay. I would much rather get you know, Micaiah that had never really ridden a bike besides being a little kid, get her in there. And the reason I love Micaiah, she makes everyone feel so comfortable, man. 
her smile alone, she is so kind, man, and she's so warm when you walk in the door that that's better than some hotshot cyclist that thinks you're supposed to be looking for S-Works. Um, and having her, uh, having Rita, I hired Rita. She came in on a Walmart Ozone road bike. I don't know if you've seen one of those. Bitch is like 40 pounds, <laughs> and she's tall. She's like 5'9 for a female, man, and it didn't fit her properly, but she was trying to ride. And I just slowly added to the bike. I gave her a comfortable saddle because I knew her lady parts were being smashed. And then I extended her seat post and I did a few things. And then one day I put, I did the trick mm-hmm. here, just ride this Olay, ride this Olay for the yep. day. She came back and she was like, Oh my God, it's like riding on a cloud. It was a base model, <laughs> Olay with players, but it was a hundred times better than what she had been riding. Yep. And she loved it so much. I said, would you like to have a job here? She goes, I don't know anything about bikes. I'm like, you know everything right now. Mm-hmm. You know the difference from being a normal person who knows nothing about bikes, what a crappy bike to a good bike is. And that's, I need to get that out. I can teach you the product. The product's not hard. It's not hard at all. I can't teach you the people skills of making people, people feel comfortable when they walk in the door. And I could go through every single person on my team and tell you why I hired them. And it's not because they're a good cyclist. Now, don't get me wrong. I have great cyclists on my team. My service manager is one of the best riders I've ever seen in my life. And that is not the reason he mm-hmm. got hired. So I think that's different than most bike shops. I think most bike shops are looking for that hotshot experience. Who can put out 1,500 watts? Um, and I think that's a mistake. Um, I also feel like that most bike shops right now are super sour, like I was for a few weeks there when I wanted to burn all my specialized <laughs> bikes. And they're blaming the man for their business. And don't get me wrong. I'm frustrated too. I'm upset about it, but I'll be damned if I'm going to sit back and lose my business because Mike Senior stepped down to the chief riding officer. It is my responsibility to fix my business. It's my responsibility that my team gets a paycheck. They count on me. They count on me making good decisions. Their families, man, they count on my paycheck that I pay to pay their house payment, you know? And I can't sit back and throw my hands up and be like, well, fuck it. I guess, I guess it's over, mm-hmm. guys. It's not an option for me. Whatever, if I got to sell inline rollerblades <laughs> to make this work, I'm going to do whatever it takes, man, to make this business work for everybody that counts on me, including the community. And I think that most bike shops are not doing that. They're going to stick to their guns no matter what. They're going to go, they're going to die as purists. They're going to die on the hill as a purist bike shop that wouldn't accept the e-bikes, wouldn't accept electric. Mm-hmm. Um, I could go on and on all the things they won't accept because it's supposed to be this way. They're still going to have the walking bird handwritten tickets and they're still going to have their blue tags that hang on with the price tag. They're still going to go through this process and they're going to die on the hill over it as opposed to evolving and changing their definition of success and, uh, making the bike shop work in today's market. Cause it's the bike shop, as we know it in the past, it doesn't exist anymore, man. It's going away very, very quickly. If you're not involving, you're going to die. That's all there's to it. Yeah, soon you might have to change that sign on the door that says probably the last bike shop. (laughs) So this is something that's happened in the industry, and maybe it'll give some of your bike shops some slack. Right before COVID, there was a big trade deal that was made. We went from China and Taiwan to Cambodia and Vietnam right before COVID. It was a better price point. We were able to get the shipping. was way easier. All this stuff happened. Well, COVID happened. Specialized. All the brands. Salsa was a big one. They, they We were not allowed to get our salsa people for quality control into the Cambodia factories mm. during COVID. Mm. They shut it down. So Specialized and Salsa that I know, I can tell personally, I don't know about the rest of the brands, 
they rolled the dice and they said, well, we'd rather produce bikes than not. And we've already moved everything over there. Let's roll with it. Disaster. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the amount of quality control that we have had in every box has Cambodia and Vietnam on it. And it's not that they're bad factories. It's that they didn't have specialized looking over the shoulder going, hey, guys, we don't do that. That's not the right paint. Why did you paint the bottom bracket? I could go on <laughs> and on and on on the problems that we've seen. And every single time it's that it wasn't packed properly or whatever else. And I look like the idiot because I just called you that your bike's on the way. I saw it shipped. I'm going to have it built for you on Friday. And then I pull out of the box and it's dinged. Mm -hmm. And then I reorder you another one and it's dinged. And I reorder you a third one. Uh, Levo, I could tell you this exact story happened and it scratched again. And, you know, the, the customer is not thinking about specialized at that point. They're looking at Jason yep. McKenzie who promised them that I was getting him a good product. And now I can't even get the bike in without scratches all over it. So I do want you to know that there, there was a big breakdown in that part of the world that we uh, were not prepared for. And we're all really trying hard to fix it, but it's just going to be a process because it's going to be years before that wow. levels itself out. But you know, that goes back to the bikes, the brands, maybe not having the best interest of the greater cycling community at heart where they're, they have their interests, which I understand they have to make money. They have to have their interests. They have to, you know, take care of their own business, but in the long term, their business depends on the health of cycling as a, as a activity, you know, not even as racing is an activity. So sometimes I just feel like the, the, the brands themselves are not taking the long-term view. And it's kind of frustrating as a, someone who's into cycling, someone who wants to see more people on bikes. And I just feel like from my perspective, sitting here where I am, I don't have the same view that you have, but from my perspective, it just seems short-term short-term thinking right now. And that could, that could potentially be a problem for us. You know, when we look back at this time, this could be a turning point. It could have been a turning point really good. I don't know if it's going to be anymore, but it could, it could turn out that it's a turning point to the bad, which is not nothing any of us want to see that's on this call right now. Man, what a chance that Specialized had an opportunity right then they could have said, you know what? We're going to stand behind the bike shops like they mm -hmm. promised they would do. They promised this would never, ever happen. Mike yep. Sender to my face that I will never go direct to consumer. Right then they could have said, you know what? Not only are we standing behind you guys, we're going to give you another five points margin. We're going to give you a chance to really thrive right now. Mm -hmm. Dude, they could have picked the best bike shops in the world. Literally. we They would have had all of us waiting in line to come sell bikes yep. for them. Instead, they turned on us. They competed with us. And now we're all salty about it. And the, for the first time ever, I'm looking for other brands. Yeah. I wouldn't even, I would never looked at DeRosa. I would have never looked at KTM as much as I like my KTM motorcycle. I was so obsessed and loyal to Specialize for so long. I wouldn't even have given you a chance to look at another bike. Now, any brand that walks in, I'm like, y'all got, y'all have inventory? Let's yeah. talk. You know, let's have a conversation. And Specialize, they did that to themselves. You know, and the sad thing is, I feel like some of the other big brands did the same thing as Specialize. I mean, Trek's buying up all of their, their yeah. dealers as well and you're right though that specialized does make a good product i love riding my specialized bikes i mean they they do make nice riding bikes that people enjoy riding on and for them to take this approach it could frustratingly like i'm saying it could do more harm to the greater industry and it's disappointing that we're in that situation and i really hope that something happens that they can turn that around but maybe the damage is already done and it's going to take some sort of other revolution. But 
I would just hope that people like you that were able to stick to your guns that are really in it for the cyclist, not for what are we going to do next year as a business, but we're trying to do something long-term and build a, a cycling, you know, environment that can, we can thrive as a bike shop. I really hope that more of you continue that down that path and it helps get us through this period that we're going to see this downturn and we can come out on the other end and a lot of people are still riding bikes. I really hope that that's the case. It's really interesting to hear, you know, your side of things, Jason, and, and to, uh, you know, I'm, I'm already envisioning the bike shops that we frequent or that I frequent, whether it's the Trek or the Specialized and thinking about some of the things that are going on with those, those employees or the owners or Specialized trying to take them over. And, you know, I, I've always had a certain level of respect, but, um, I have a much greater one now just thinking about, you know, you, you're looking out for your employees. You're not just taking the sellout or the golden parachute or anything they're offering and, you know, kind of sticking it out. And in the same respect, you know, it's it, it just thinking about making suggestions to some of these shops to get out there and do more bike rides and get more involved with the, the community and do that. So the, the kind of things that you're doing. Yeah, bicycles are not going anywhere. I mean, it's been here too long. You know, I just, uh, I read the book, The Wright Brothers, which is a really good book, but the, the Orville, Orville Wright wrote home to his dad in 1878 that there were several bike shops that opened up in Dayton, Ohio, and he just, he had too much inventory, and he just didn't know if it was the right industry, if it was going to last. <laughs> the same conversations I'm having right yeah. now. It's been going on for 150 years, you know, it's kind of like encouraging and discouraging at the same time, like, holy shit, dude, it's always going to be like this. But that I wouldn't, I'd never forget reading that letter to his dad, but it's, um, they're not going anywhere. I believe that the people that are, like you said, have everybody's interest at their best at heart, they're going to come back. People remember that. Um, the customer that doesn't, maybe they weren't my customer in the first place. You know what I mean? Yep. And that's fine. Uh, today I sold a, uh, a stump jumper. It was a used one. It just got traded in a carbon stump jumper to the guy that owns Moe's barbecue, which happens to be who I took. 130 mm -hmm. people on my full moon ride last Tuesday night to his place. He, he walks in, buys a $3,000 used bike from me today. That's how this yep. works, man. I didn't, I didn't do it for that reason. Obviously I didn't know he even wanted a bike, but that's how this worked. He also participated in the urban mountain bike race on the shittiest trek you've ever seen. <laughs> and I told him the trek joke and then he ended up buying a full suspension. There you go. You know, this worked there you out. Go. So that I feel like that this is how it works. You know, you do the right thing. It may not come back to you immediately, but in the long run, people are going to remember who was good to them and who treated them right. And uh, I, I feel like we're going to be okay, man. I really do. It's just I got to tighten up a little bit right now, you know, and I, got, I just got to really keep my eyes open and try to figure out what I think is going to work in the future. And I think used bikes is a big part of it. That's why I've done that. Um, the used parts, giving that ability when the money does get tight, you can still afford to be in the industry and still afford to go participate, you know. Yeah, well, that is great to hear. I am – pumped up to hear that coming from you right now because I feel like it gives me a little bit of hope for the future that you know we're going to make it through this we're going to be in good shape and you know because I love riding bikes and I just want other people to be able to share that love and experience like you said when you get them out there and get them on the bike and it's the right the right setup and it feels good it's just there's nothing like it right and I I, I really I'm really pumped to hear you say that uh you know, we're going to get through this and, and we're going to make it work. And, and the bicycle is always going to be there. So I appreciate you, uh, brightening my day up in that way. So, yeah. Awesome, man. I appreciate you guys. Yeah. So 
yeah. what I'm definitely going to do on, is yeah. I figured out how to do this after our last episode. I'm going to put a link to your bike shop in the show notes of our uh, of our podcast when this comes out. So if you're out there listening and you awesome. want to check out uh, Jason's shop, Ride on Bikes, we'll uh, we'll have a link down there in the in the podcast show notes. I will definitely be coming down at some point to check this place out because it sounds just amazing. So when I get a chance, hope maybe you know we can tie can tie it in one year with like you said going down to see uh, Athens Twilight. That's that's like a bucket list yeah, ride to try out or at least at least go watch. Come up, check out the yeah. uh, the bike shop. Sounds like a fun time. And that's what I was going to suggest, Eric. Is we have to uh, fly down. Go to his shop, run some bikes, maybe ride and see the uh, the race in Athens as well. Just do it. Yeah, that would weekend. be fantastic. Yeah, tied into a full moon ride. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Know, do something. We'll go, go get a brisky somewhere with 150 of my closest friends listening to James Brown. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that's another thing. Maybe I can, uh, I, I might even post a link to that, if that's okay, Jason, post a link to that uh, full moon ride you sent me Please. in the show notes because that's yeah. the kind of thing. I don't know if you listened to the one show where we talked about when we, uh, we go down to the Simmerton Tap on Wednesday nights, go down, have some beer, yeah. have some wings. I don't know if you noticed, but Mike doesn't eat anything with any kind of sauce on it. So he only gets plain wings, just like purely <laughs> plain, not even like, not even just buffalo. I mean, like literally plain. Just so naked, yeah, he's yeah. got to get his own. So, you know, but, but that's like one of the most fun things we do. And when you sent that video of the, the full moon ride, I said, you know, if I was there, I mean, this would be an every week thing for me. And, you know. Mike and I, we, we do rides where, you know, we do that road ride where we're riding in a pace line. We're riding above 20 miles per hour the whole time. There's That's yeah. a fun element. There's a part, there's a time and a place for that kind of riding, and it's fun and enjoyable. But at the same time, doing that kind of ride in the evening, go to the bar, just experiencing bikes with friends. I mean, I would do that every week. So that just, I'm just so uh, excited that there are bike shops out there that they're doing that sort of thing that we're trying to do as a community just on our own, but having a bike shop somewhere that is, that sees the value in that and promotes it and organizes it. That's just fantastic. And I would encourage anyone that's well, in the area, try something out like that. Cause it'll be something you never forget. You'll be talking about it for the rest of your life. I promise you. Yeah, I'll make you a deal. You come ride one of these rides. I'll come up and ride one of y'all. Yes. <laughs> I mean, we don't have 150 people at our ride, though. It's not quite as exciting. Hey, it's, it's good. Like eight of us. Hey, it's got to start somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> you got to be careful, though. If you invite me, I'm the guy that shows yeah, up. Yeah, for sure. But surprises people. <laughs> I will tell you, definitely, if you coming from Georgia to Chicago, come in the summertime. Because in the wintertime, yeah, it's just no not doubt. where it's not, it's not where you would be outside no riding. So. Yeah. Cool, man. Well, we appreciate you so much being on, taking time with us to be on this. You know, like I said, we'll we'll definitely be down to, to check out the shop, but uh, this was super exciting. Like I said at the very beginning, we generally don't have people that know what they're talking about on this on this podcast. So <laughs> to have the chance to get this type of knowledge, I mean, this is super exciting. And, uh, you know, hopefully we'll, we'll be able to do more things like this. Yeah, so again, thanks so much. We'll hopefully be in touch. All right, guys. And hopefully right, we'll see you. Night. Hopefully All I'll right. get to meet you, not just Mike. <laughs> yeah. Sounds All, right. All right. See you. Right. Thanks. Good night, guys. Bye. We hope you enjoyed that conversation with Jason. Check out the show notes for some links with more information about Jason's shop, Ride on Bikes, and the rides they do. If you like what you're hearing, please give us a rating or review and tell your friends about us. 
This will help the podcast grow and allow us to bring you more content like this. See you next week with the rest of the Velo Chumps. Hey, have you even been listening to what I've been saying? I've been talking to you for the last 10 minutes.